My Other Face by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 18. Martyr confronts the living dead inside the plant. For the angel of death spread his wings on the blast and breathed in the face of the foe as he passed. And the eyes of the sleepers waxed deadly and chill. In their hearts, but once heaved, forever grew still. From almost the time she had hung up the telephone, Martyr had it set in her mind she was going to leave the clinic. The one-man security team was not going to keep her confined in the lower clinic. She changed into her regular clothes, including several layers under her white parker. The hour was late as she pulled up the hood and was ready to go. She had reasoned it was only a matter of time before the guard left his station and checked the connecting corridors. Marta would go out after him. It would be simple. She would proceed through the door at the end of the corridor and up the stairs to the first floor of the hospital. It would mean either hitting the guard or breaking the door. But she now felt compelled to leave. She pulled out the bed crank and stuffed it in her pocket. It would be a quick move and she would be outside in no time. Her destination would be the power plant itself. If she could prove Weissman's information was essentially correct, she would be one step closer to exonerating her own sanity. Even if it meant risking her life to find the final truth. Rather to die, she thought, than to give up her life in some faraway sanitarium. The guard began his check around 11 o'clock. He walked casually from the nurse's station, as this was not a high-risk job. He followed the square-shaped corridor. Marta waited for him to round the first corner. She shut the door very slowly and slithered down the opposite wall of the corridor. When she reached the edge of the adjacent corridor, she could see the guard checking the door to the first floor. It would be very easy now if she slugged him across the skull, but she just couldn't do it. She waited as he walked down the corridor, but she was ready to make her move. He walked to the end and around the corner. As he disappeared, she went through the swinging glass doors and hurried to the upstairs doors. The glass was lined with wire, very sturdy. She slammed the bed crank, crushing the glass and the mesh. Scooping out a hole in the glass, she reached inside and pulled open the latch. An alarm would surely go off. She sprinted up the stairs and into the long hospital corridor. From experience, she knew the x-ray labs connected to the opposite next to the lobby. Her memory served her well as she ran through the darkened rooms and into the forward area. With no resistance offered, she sprinted out of the lobby doors. The snow blew fiercely, but she had made it to freedom. She ran rapidly across the parking lot and into the low visibility she quickly disappeared down the road. The building faded into the squalling snow. Perhaps they knew she was gone or maybe nothing had happened. She couldn't be sure. Turning to her left, she left the road and cut onto Miller's cornfield. When she was a girl, she had crossed the field hundreds of times. It's all coming back to her now as she moved through the deep snow. Going to the plant would be tiring, but she knew all the shortcut and could avoid the main roads. As she breathed heavily, she could hear the clock tower pounding out its late night chimes throughout the countryside. The snow was deep, but Marta was obsessed with finding the truth and the muscle cramps in her legs meant very little. Her face seemed frozen from the wind chill, 
and her mind was revolving like a spinning top, always coming back to the same point of origin. Universal gradient, the power. Jamie wanted to find out what was going on at that plant. No wonder he couldn't tell me, no wonder. He knew, he knew it was dangerous and he knew he was gonna stop his father. But then he changed. Mean and vicious, not the man that came here last Friday, not the man that I knew years ago. How am I to know what he'll do next? She looked back into the snowy haze. They must be searching now. Hastings must know. They must be looking over the whole damn town for that lunatic named Marta Pendleton that escaped. She broke her cage and now is on the loose. Seeing more flashes, no doubt, the flashes. I haven't seen any flashes. It was all real. I'm sane. I'm sane. The woods were dark and deep. It would take a great deal of stamina, as well as steady nerves, to make the two-mile trip through the forest. The snow seemed to be abating somewhat as the moon shined through the low-moving silver clouds. She made it across the field, always looking upward at the eerie sky. There was no doubt about it. She was frightened and hesitated about going into the grove. Farm lights had glowed in the back, but Marta Dupont Pendleton knew she had to make it. She had to make it out to that plant and find the truth. Woods, the snow was not as deep, and Mata actually began jogging. She was petrified by the isolation and had the feeling that anything could spring out at any second. The distant sounds of traffic and dogs barking in the night echoed throughout the deep forest. Above her, the giant pines and massive oaks cracked and bent in the wind. She had no choice but to increase her pace hurrying through the unknown darkness toward the river road. She figured it took her 20 minutes, but she did make it out to the road. At least 200 yards down the road was the bridge that led to the plant. She stood on the road's edge, like her husband three nights before, and she studied the blinking lights atop the main brick building. And like him, she thought, she was saturated with an insatiable curiosity about what lay inside. She imagined herself as a secret agent in a movie. Looking both ways down the street, she ran along the edge of the woods near the bridge. The road was clear, and she trekked into the open area which led to the river. Now she didn't have to lift her feet through the snow and hurried up the sanded incline as she looked back in every direction for her pursuers. Everything, including the plant, seemed unusually clear. The chain link fence to the parking lot was open as it had been on Friday night. At this higher level, the wind whipped up the valley, and she had to fight the blast as she headed for the side door of the warehouse. The door opened easily. When she looked inside, she was mortified at the sight of the rented car. It was covered in blood and pierced with bullet holes, just as she had seen on Friday night. Weissman might have been close to the truth. Either she was in an endless fantasy, or she really had seen Jamie pull up to the Churchill apartment. The entire scenario threatened to overwhelm her. She had to fight off whatever her emotions were telling her. That uncontrollable evil was waiting for her inside the plant. The air was warmer inside the empty plant. She touched the bullet holes with her fingertips, pushing in the punctured edges. They were very real. Even this could be another delusion of her mind, but she was not going to believe that possibility, especially when she saw the seat painted with the caked, brown-stained blood of her husband. This car smelled as if a dead animal had been allowed to rot under the seat for weeks on end. 
Something awful was going on here, something which had changed her husband. She sweat under the downfill parker and took it off and several layers. Removing the keys from the car, she opened the trunk and stuffed the clothes inside. Then she threw the keys across the seat and looked into the warehouse. Somebody was coming. She could hear the footsteps outside the parking lot door. There was no time to think. She scurried behind a stack of boxes to her left. The outside door opened. She almost choked in her own breath as Jamie, accompanied by his father, walked stiltedly into the warehouse. Both men were silent and looked like professional mourners. The short, jerky motions bothered her, and they moved along a stack of cartons. Marta moved in a clockwise fashion as the men rounded the boxes. She held her breath and prayed they would not see her crouching body. They looked intent in their purpose, heading for the adjacent room. Turning the corner, the two men went to the white staircase, which led to the upstairs offices. I have to follow them. I have to follow them. They must be heading to the heart of this thing. And there must be other men inside, probably just like them. I'm so lucky I've gone this far. Now what the hell do I do? I have to go. I have to. Because it really doesn't matter anymore. They've both changed. The power has somehow changed them. Just the fact that they're together when they hated each other. I have to go. I'm going. She made her way across the room and up the stairs. But they weren't inside as she peered through the glass doors. At the end of the carpeted hallway was a chrome silver elevator. Perhaps they had taken the elevator. She opened the doors and moved inside. The soft carpet absorbed any sound she made. She passed through the environmental maintenance room and stood in front of the elevator. If she took the elevator, she would emerge right in front of them. There was no choice. She would have to take the stairs to her right. They were concrete casts like the inside of a city parking garage. She rounded the stark and featureless stairwell, descending 20 levels before she could sense any activity. There were strange sounds coming from the inside of a large metal door on the 21st level. Static sounds and modulating frequencies. The door opened easily. She found herself at the end of an extremely long corridor that was dimly lit by an indefinite source at its end. She let the door shut and sprinted ahead. Her footsteps echoed loudly. She did not care who could hear her. Brilliant light ahead brought her to a sudden stop. She shielded her eyes from the dramatic changes in tint and brightness. As she opened the door, it hit her fully, like sitting inches away from a wide movie screen. It was all so very confusing as she looked into what looked like warped space. All around 360 degrees was an intense region of light and accompanying sounds. She could see a small overhang surrounding the elevator shaft. Instruments and gauges were working perfectly. She watched Jamie, his father, and Dr. Minos as they all stood with vacant expressions and gazed below into the light. The acoustics were sufficient to hear their words. It has been done, said the old man. We have changed the hydro once and for all. And a change that will last forever. The Amenti region, he said slowly and raised his arms as he pointed forward, will be open now and they will flow freely into our world. All will live to die over and over and 
Dr. Minos pushed a series of switches and buttons. He typed something into the computers, and the region seemed to heat up with a high intensity. The ever-changing light shifted toward the violet end of the spectrum as the system moved into high gear. The tiny figures on the platform were dwarfed by the overpowering glow. We have freight to emerge at will in the NU regions of overlap anywhere within the town, said Minos. Our task here is complete. They, they are the bundles coming through at will. Not just behind the overlap region, but they can come through anywhere in the town and possess anyone who dies. Weissman! Weissman! Where the hell are you, Weissman? Where the hell are you, Weissman? In the distant spaces of the bright light, Marta could see hundreds, maybe even thousands, of the tiny bundles swarming through the violet haze. They were brighter now than she had seen them in the past, as if a final barrier had been removed. They could come through easily now, and the plant was set for universal power ad infinitum. Her heart pounded when she saw them lingering, just waiting for someone to die. Then they would move in, possessing that person in an unthinkable symbiotic relationship. The one of life from across the universe, from another space and time, it saturates the human soul and finds the bodies for the killing, and then repairs all the damage, or... Am I crazy? Am I just making all this up to fit my own insanity? To explain why I've seen dead people and why they're not alive now. Weissman, Weissman, I need you, Weissman. Below, she saw our old man Pendleton take the long-bladed knife from under the console. Her throat tightened. She wanted to look away, but she felt compelled to keep her eyes glued on his actions. Pendleton, like a programmed robot, thrust the knife into Jamie's chest. With a bizarre smile, his son dropped to the floor, blood gushing forward. For a second, perhaps a third time, she had seen her husband mortally wounded. Minos was the next attacker. He came forward and started choking the old man. They struggled for the knife, but Pendleton didn't have the strength to hold him back. His face turned even brighter red, then blue. Minos banged his head against the counter, slicing and cutting up his face. The old man, too, fell to the floor, hitting with a thud. But Minos was not through. He took the knife and began brutally hacking at the corpse over and over again. When he lifted the blade toward himself, Marta looked away. Then she heard him fall to the floor as he had thrust the blood-coated metal directly into his face. His eyes were open wide as he slowly fell forward, hitting more consoles on the floor and embedding the knife further into his brain. By this time, Marta was running through the darkened corridor. She slowed and felt her way around from the metal door. Opening it quickly, she rushed up the stairs. Her mind was blank as she reached the top of the stairs. She had no recollection of having run up to the top. In her disorientation, she breathed heavily and ran down the carpeted corridor. Then it all snapped back to her. She darted into one of the side offices and picked up the telephone. She quickly dialed the operator. Operator! Operator! Get me Chief Hastings right away! This is an emergency! The operator's voice sounded like all the others. Low, unattached, and deadly. You will live to die. Let me kill you. Now, I want to murder you. Right now. 
Marta hurled the telephone across the room and put her hands to her mouth. The whole town had become infested with the bundle creatures. They must have been spreading uncontrollably. My children, my children, I have to get to my children before they're all killed. Oh, God in heaven, stop this. God help us all. Sandy, Mitchie. No, no. Her words repeated in her mind as she ran from the office to the staircase. She kept looking back for the dead men to appear at the top of the stairs and take hold of her. The way was clear, however, as she reached the rental car without any problem. Reaching inside, she took the keys off the seat and hurried around to open the trunk. She took her clothes from the trunk and threw them inside the front seat and then rushed for the door opener. The door began to rise and she raced back to the rental car. They hadn't come for her yet. The car started right up. She looked into the rearview mirror amidst the stench inside. Pendleton's Mercedes was parked along the chain link fence outside and the fence gate was open. It was at that time she saw two rimmed circles staring at her from the back seat darkness. It was Pendleton's associate, Al, and he lunged toward her body. You will die. Die like us. No, she screamed. I'll never be like you. I want to live. I want to live. She cried as his icy fingers of death slivered around her throat. I could kill you with my bare hands or with this. He held up a long-barreled revolver. Marta stepped on the gas. The sudden jolt caused Al to pull the trigger. The gun fired, but the bullet entered his forehead. The blood matter and the red spray covered the side windows and back of her neck. She stopped the car in the parking lot and leaped outside. He would soon be revived by the creatures and be ready to kill again. She dragged him from the back seat and left him on the asphalt. Slamming the door, she returned to the front seat of the car and sat in her husband's dried blood. It would take her at least five minutes to get to the Pendleton mansion. She kept praying that the children were all right, and more than that, she actually beckoned insanity. Then, this nightmare would be only a manifestation in her mind. That which was so terrible would be isolated in some far, uninhabited region deep within her own brain. Weissman, where are you? She yelled as she spun the car around and headed down the steep road. Weissman, I need you. Get my children the hell out of this place. She sped across the bridge and back toward the center of town. Join us next time for My Other Face by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.